So I find myself here. It's a good place to be. I thought so. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be anywhere, it might as well be here. Oh. Yeah. And now? Now you're getting complicated. Well, I suppose it depends. I mean, it, it all comes down to a matter of... of uh, Nature of the cyclical time of existence? Or yeah. coffee? And coffee. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're both the same thing, really, aren't they? Pretty much. When you think about it, in a very real sense. Are we all not half an onion in a bag? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, you, um, you, said, you said something about doing a Frithcast. I did. Which apparently is why we've got the recorder switched on. It is. your line sorry carry on no no you do you want to do the introductions this time i could do yeah i could do go on then hello lovely listeners because that's how we usually start it is but you just mellow it out mellow hello. it hello. sit in it land in it land on it hello sit on it sit on it to be or not to be that is the question land on it your line is hello lovely listeners hello lovely listeners in mellow tones in mellow tones because then Melif- they just mellifluous. all chill out mellifluous maleficent mellow. Maleficent tones I can do. Mm. No problem there at all. I can curse anything you like. Okay, mellifluous. Let's 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 be mellow. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to the virtual campfire. Welcome to the clearing, the, the virtual clearing in which you'll find the virtual campfire. Pull up a log, sit down, warm your knees. That's what we say, isn't it? Very good. That's yes, how it we is. Did, yes. Yeah. And welcome to another episode of Frithcast. And today um, we bring you episode number ninety-seven. Seven, apparently. That's uh, that's ninety-seven. That's seven, seven and nine, seven and ninety, seven of nine. Oh, let's talk about seven of nine. Let's not talk about seven of nine. Oh, okay. Uh, seven, seven and ninety. And today we uh, we, we we welcome. All our, 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 our established lovely listeners and anybody new who's joining us for the first time, you are very welcome. Grab a marshmallow, not that one, it's mine. Today we are going to talk about... Have, we, have we I got to introduce... introductions first. I've got to introduce ourselves, yeah, haven't I? I've got, I've got to introduce ourselves. Okay. Please, you, it's good night from her oh. and good night from me. <laughs> Please introduce ourselves. I will introduce me, first of all, because I am Kate and I live here. And over to you. Hello, lovely listeners. I would like to introduce my glorious wife, Kate, who is a coffee-powered druid and is currently sat with me around the virtual campfire, and myself, I am Suzanne Martin. I am a heathen with a head full of stuff, some of which is useful. Some of it, yeah. Yeah, occasionally. Yeah. Remembering where the ball of string is, not a chance. Nobody ever remembers where the ball of string is. No. Bar kittens. Yeah. Kittens usually know. 
Kittens know where the ball of string is. Innate so, kitten ability. We need episode ninety-seven. Episode ninety-seven <laughs> is going to be about. It's going to be about studying the runes or starting to prepare to study runes. Okay. Because it's a question I get asked quite a lot. We could do a little bit of a discussion on it around the virtual campfire, and then all the information is here for posteriors. For posteriors. So they they can kind of sit, chill out, be on a log, and listen to it whenever and wherever. That sounds good. So studying runes, it's a question I get asked, and I have been asked quite a few times over the years. How do you go about starting to study the runes? And I often get a comment coming from somebody and they say, I want to learn everything there is to know about runes. And I tend to take a big deep breath at that point and go, wow, that's a bigger question. <laughs> that's a huge question. Yeah, that's that's massive. But so this episode, I wanted to look at ways you could start understanding why that is such a big question, okay. why that is so complicated and why that one simple question of I want to know everything there is to know about runes could essentially easily take a lifetime yeah, and the rest of so, somebody else's lifetime after that. Indeed. I mean, people have been studying them for hundreds of years. They so, have. Yeah, even, they while, have. even while they were an active, you yeah. know, a, a, the, the primary writing system of, of, of some cultures, you know, they were, they were sort of spent a lot of time studying the meaning and so forth. I think... First of all, I mean, I, we, I take it as read, ha, sorry. Um, no, you're not. I, <laughs> I take it as read, possibly unfairly, that a lot of our listeners will know what runes are. Yes. I don't want to obviously start too basic, but can we just summarise for anybody who, who is entirely new? I mean... For anybody who has heard the word rune and isn't quite sure what it is and where it is and how it is <clears> and all of that kind of stuff... A rune is generally a series of straight-lined marks, occasionally intersecting lines, a letter, you might say, Mm. that generally were carved on wood or scratched into stone uh, or put into objects, into artefacts. And they also, through the rune poems, which we've talked about before, Mm. the modern letter shapes now have an oracular meaning attached to each one. So some people use them for oracular purposes. Mm-hmm. Some people use them as a writing system. Some people use them, they are identified in the sagas, especially you have runic magicians, Okay. Vitki. Um, and they look at things like bind runes and rune magic. Mm. And so there are these sort of three big strands of rune work okay. that you can look at. And a lot of people might focus on one particular strand and the deeper you go into it the more there is to pick up and learn and attach and connect and yeah everything else and you might find that you end up focusing on one of these strands you might find that you're very strong with the bind runes and runic magic yeah. uses but not so strong of them in oracular use mm. or you might find you're very strong at looking at the inscriptions and looking at the translations the languages the variant letters but oracular stuff isn't something that's really getting into your, yeah. you know, into your space, into your zone. So we're basically looking at a uh, a script system, an alphabet, in effect, um, a series yes. of glyphs that are 
can translate phonetic sounds. Yeah. But each one has one or one or more sort of associated meanings. And, yeah, uh, they can have concepts attached to them yeah. or ideas attached to them. <clears throat> okay. So, the first step is that there are there's more than one runic alphabet. Yeah. More than one with a different number of letters. In them. <laughs> so the. The one that most people tend to be most familiar with is what they call the Elder Futhark. It's one with 24... Futhark? Futhark, named for the first letters. We have the word alphabet from the Greek alphabeta, the first two letters of the Greek alphabet. Yep. They have Futhark from the first letters of this sequence. And we know what order the runes are in in sequence because they write... The, the sequence itself is written down in order several times on different artefacts and objects. Okay. So we know what order these runes mostly come in, and I'll come on. I'll come on to why they might need a bit of a tweak later on. But so they literally had a fixed alphabet the way we do. You could make a song out of it, like people do with ours. Yes. Yeah. yeah you can make. I'm not going to sing a song of, about it. No, thanks. Uh, you can make strings of sounds. Out by putting runes together and conventionally reading them left to right, top to bottom, like you would read English on a page. Mm -hmm. That needs some explaining as well, but I'll come back to it. So traditionally, you read them left to right, yep. like you would read English on a, on a piece of paper. And each of those 24 letters has a phonetic... Each of those 24 shapes has a phonetic sound and generally an accepted letter in the Roman alphabet that we use. Okay. Each of them also has a corresponding meaning or image concept mm. to each of the 24 letters. Some of those are nature-based. Yeah. Some of them are based in ideals of society and some of them are very personal, people-based, individual-based. Okay. So you can see the groups of runes there is certainly a collection of runes that are to do with nature, mm. natural forces, things that Scandinavian peoples would have encountered in their world outside the walls. Yeah. Like our letter system, you could, more in the oracular use, some runes, when they come out in an oracular casting, mm. you will find that some of them can be viewed the same, they will view the they will have one meaning whichever way up they fall. Okay. Others of them have a very specific shape so that it gets inverted or reversed and that changes the focus of that meaning of that rune mm. in oracular work. Okay. And also in bind rune and runic magic work, mm -hmm. it will shift the meaning. If you invert a letter in an inscription, it's probably a little bit like, what? Why are you writing that letter? Mm. the wrong way around, unless it's an intentional part of the inscription, which, again, it can be. Yeah. The rune poems, we've talked about them before in an older episode, and we're looking at a poem where each verse is preceded by a rune, which basically is the first word of that poem. Right. That verse. And that whole verse is about that one rune. So it's describing the nature condition or it's describing that concept but it's using that word that rune is the first word of the first line yeah so it's associating that runic shape with the meaning the concept that's in that verse and then your next verse goes on to a different meaning 
like with a lot of these things I've already very quickly touched on, mm. the meanings that are attached to the runes oracular-wise tend to come from these rune poems. Okay. So the Anglo-Saxon rune poem, with its more than 24 verses, oh yes, has the base meanings in that most of the oracular work is based on nowadays. Most books will look at those oracular meanings. All right. But what happens when you've got a rune where there's a line missing from the original poem? Mm. Which it's, I believe is the case. It's, it's the case with one particular rune. There is a line or two lines, depending on how you translate it and where you put the line breaks, mm. missing from the original poem, which means the modern meanings are all over the place. Was this P? Peoth, yes. Peoth, yeah. Yeah, so that one, if you start studying runes and you get to that rune, you'll know because the meanings are wildly different everywhere for that rune. It's basically pe people have just had to kind of fill in as best they can. Yeah, so. we've, yeah we've got the top and the bottom and the middle bit's missing. Mm. And we're just like, ah. Nice. <laughs> Narned. <laughs> we know the sequence from the rune poems. The verses are in a specific order. The order of the verses tends to match artefacts like the Thames Scramsax, which has a... Uh, Anglo-Saxon rune row all the way down the middle, which is very nice, very convenient, mm -hmm. kind of know the sequence. And things like the Kylva runestone, which again is, it's a huge big slab of rock. Yeah. It's got the equivalent of the alphabet incised into the middle of it, slightly on a curve. It's not quite in a straight line, but it's kind of drifts a little bit. And then the inscription is put face down over the top of a grave. Okay. It's like, why would you do that? The person's name isn't in there. There's no kind of like formulaic funerary inscription of, you know, read the runes. So-and-so had this card for so-and-so. But face down. It's face down. So it's the dead person that it's pointed at. Yes. So it's not an inscription to <clears throat> memorialise somebody. It's not, it's an, not inscription an inscription for to... the living. No. No. So what effect did they want it to have on the dead? Yeah. And why on earth... Would you carve it on a great big chunk of rock? If it's just the runes that are important, get a little slab of rock and just kind of lift it in and plonk it over the top, fine. But this piece of rock is huge. Undead? Yeah. Presumably I mean, trying to avoid... Yeah, there are instances of uh, like prehistoric undead being weighed down with rocks. Yeah. Or being having Y-shaped sticks pushed over the top of them to hold them down. Okay. Uh, or... Yeah, boulders being put on top of graves to hold them in. But my favourite is the one where apparently there's a particular vampire or kind of vampire that's like that has like a sort of obsessional thing, mm -hmm. and they have to count stuff. Poppy seeds. Yeah, and yeah. I'm fairly sure it's not just from the dude in Sesame Street. <laughs> but now I say it out loud. But no, the, no, I, I swear you can look it up. There is um there is this this anti-vampire technique where you scatter poppy seeds around the grave yeah and then the vampire will rise at sundown immediately have to count the poppy seeds so they spend all night counting the poppy seeds and they and it's like a it's like a comp compulsion they've got it's like a you know some sort of i don't know some sort of curse or something that's been put on them they have to count all the poppy seeds uh, and they don't quite finish the job and then the sun's coming back up and they have to go back in the grave yeah and then the following night, yeah, they can't just like, right, put a pin in it and I'll carry on tonight. <coughs> no, to start again. I have to start all over again. Yeah. 
So this is a great big slab of rock, mm. and the inscription is basically the alphabet written out and put face down. Carve a runestone. The poppy seeds are easier. Don't yeah, it? slightly easy to get hold of. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Draugar aren't interested in poppy seeds. I don't know, it's the fingers, you can't pick them up. <laughs> Finger falls off, you're nodded. <laughs> Do go on. Thank you. <laughs> so, change of subject. Did you hear that trucker's gear shift? Here we go. Some Segway. Segway. We need a good Segway. I'm not getting on one of them wheelie things. It's not happening. <laughs> so, one of the other things, there are a couple of things to watch out for when you're studying, looking to study runes. Okay. When you are looking to use them in your practice, display them, have tattoos of them, have artwork of them, put them on items. There are some runes which are now openly associated and used by fascists, by exclusionary heathens, by right-wing groups, watching out for what, what they are and how people use them, keeping in mind that as you study them, yeah. that there are two that I can think of immediately that are um, probably a third and a fourth actually but two main ones i can think of immediately mm. that are openly co-opted by the far right can i have a stab at these go on then othala yes obviously. that's my first big one and I, I before i before i do before i elaborate from my my limited knowledge set what i'm what i would say is the key here is you know as we get on to as we go through sort of the, the the process of sort of you know how to go about learning about these things and so forth we're not saying these runes are bad no we're saying that they are as you say they have been co-opted by you know uh, extremist groups and far-right groups and what have you and people who do not understand people who do not know much about heathenism that may be the only time they've seen these runes yep so although we as well you as heathens and me as a heathen hanger on know that there is nothing intrinsically bad about these runes, the general public might not appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah. It, it becomes a bit of a bit of a thing. But Athala, yes, is often used by um, neo-Nazi and, and, and yeah. other fascist groups because Especially of its association. <coughs> Go on. Because of its association in, in meaning with uh, ancestry and... Home inheritance. Home yeah. heritage, your land, that yeah. kind of thing. You'll often find it in a slight variant called the winged Athala. Mm -hmm. So it has two little extra marks on the rune itself. Yeah. And that definitely is. Right, okay. Uh, it's not a form that's in the original inscriptions or in the rune poems as far as I know. Ah, so that's, they that's use a, a modification winged, for that, that yeah, they've made. Okay. That, that is definitely, but Othala in general, yes. Yeah. I would guess also Suelu? Yes, yeah. That's the name of it, isn't it? Suelu, yeah. The the one that looks like a lightning bolt. Yeah. yeah. Um, as you can probably imagine it. Yeah. Uh, especially two of it placed together. Yep. Yeah. Now, there are a couple of other ones that get used. The tear rune. Mm. Uh, the letter T. Yeah. The tear rune, that can also be used by fascist and far-right extremist organisations. Okay. The other one that tends to get used is Haglaz, especially in pairs. The H rune. The H rune. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably self-explanatory. Yeah. Your your big one, Othala. The other three, 
are co-opted but not to the same degree. Yeah. So if you're going to start studying runes, whichever of those three big areas you want to go into, or you think, you know what, that's really, I'm getting into that, that's kind of my thing. So again, just to just to cover that's 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 using them as a script, writing, writing with them. Yeah. Using them for oracular divinatory purposes. Yeah. And using them for magical talismanic purposes. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got three big main areas. They overlap. They're not exclusive. No. So you might find you start studying start studying oracular and end up coming across bind runes and everything else. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It'll all overlap. It will all kind of go together. I would start by looking at the rune poems, and there are translations of these available online for free. That's handy. It's very handy. <laughs> you don't have to buy a shed load of expensive books or tools. What you need is time and the will, the drive to study. Yeah. I would start looking at the rune poems, mm -hmm. the verses of the rune poems, the Anglo-Saxon rune poem. There are four rune poems that I know of. Yeah. I would look probably most closely at the Anglo-Saxon rune poem for the verses in there. Look at the different translations, especially for that rune that has a missing line. My big thought when you're starting to study the runes is look at how much time you have to study every week. Okay. If you want to make a good go of this, and they are worth making a good go of, look at how much time you have available and when and where you want to study. So mm. it might be like, right, well, every Wednesday morning, I'm going to put an hour aside and study this. Yeah. Every Sunday night, I'm going to put an hour aside and study this. Make yourself a study plan just to help keep yourself on track, especially if you like structure. Yeah. And you want to be able to carve that time out for study and not use it for anything else. Mm -hmm. I would get a notebook or a folder and a fairly substantial one for your research. And that could include photocopies. It could include uh, handwritten notes. I'm quite academically minded. So when I started my rune research off, it was very much in that academic vein. Yeah. It was very much handwritten notes. It was very much uh, bullet points. It was organized folders. For other people, that might be their total not thing. And there is <laughs> no one way to do this. We cannot teach you how to heathen. If you are more of an artistic person, you might find that you want to get a blank, a big blank sketchbook mm -hmm. and create artwork, create collages, write your notes on one side and create art on the other side for every single rune. Or you could draw, draw each rune. You could like do a do a do a, like a painting or a yeah. or a drawing of each rune with, you know, linked in with the theme of of its yeah, of uh, how in meaning of, of and what stuff. you understand it yeah all yeah. of that so it doesn't have to be solid academic research it can be artistic expression it that collection of research is just for you it mm. doesn't get marked it doesn't get seen by anybody else it is just so that you can keep track of the things that you've learned and how you've learned them yeah Otherwise, you get to my point where you know you know a thing, you just can't remember where the thing is from, and then you have to go and dig it back out again. <laughs> and it's a pain in the backside. So pro tip, write it all down. Or draw it all down, or paint it all down, whatever. Create it all down. Create yourself a system and a record to be able to hold your research yeah. as you go. I would consider at the start 
one of the first things you learn to do is write, be able to write the rune sequence out. Okay. From start to finish, learn the shapes, learn the rhythm of the shapes, learn which runes come before and after other runes, mm. be able to write the whole sequence of 24 out from start to finish, no mistakes, without looking at a source first. Get to that point. Wow. And the reason you look at that first is then the shapes are instinctively familiar to you. You see, the thing is, I can do the shapes. Mm -hmm. I can write the alphabet out in runic. Yeah. But it's the Greek alphabet I'm writing out in runic. Yeah. <laughs> so I can, I can do the shapes. I can do you the shapes for A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah. as far as the actual runic alphabet goes, in the Futhark goes, sequence. I can only get as far as K. <laughs> that's because that's the first That's bit the of end yeah, of the okay. word Futhark. Yeah, so. it is. Yeah. So learn the rune shapes, practice them over and over and over. Remember back to when you learned how to handwrite mm -hmm. or you learned how to type an alphabet or if you, heavens forbid, you learned how to type on a typewriter and you would learn sequences over and over and over and over and over. I miss typewriters. With keys that go the, the ones you could really wham. Yeah. Clunk, clunk, Those clunk. ones. The reason I would say consider doing this to start with is because this is like learning the colour wheel in art or learning scales in music. You're learning the basic building blocks which will enable you to build on them later. Yeah. So then you might find that it's oracular work that draws you. At which point, start with the rune poems, um, look at books, go to libraries, go to websites, start cataloguing how other people look at each rune and how they interpret each rune and start forming your own understanding of each rune, yeah. which may change and develop as you go through. Hmm. And as you start with the first runes, by the time you get to the middle of the entire sequence, you might want to go back to the first ones and go, oh, I get that connection now. Yeah, and I understand that because <clears throat> your knowledge is deepening as you go. Yeah, you'll, you'll have a different perspective on the, on the ones that you have already looked, looked at, at at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So one of the exercises that I found very useful when I started learning runes, which is I started learning runes a very long time ago, I'm still learning runes now mm -hmm. because there is still connections and deeper meanings and much, much more reflection I can do on those. Yeah. One of the, the exercises I found very useful was to spend two weeks looking at each rune in sequence, okay. which is why knowing the order of the runes can be really useful. Yeah. So two weeks on each rune gives you 48 weeks and you get weeks off for good behavior, you have a year. <laughs> So you have a whole weeks. year of rune study. That's four weeks off for good behaviour. What if you have yeah. like two weeks in the middle? One in, one in spring, uh, one in spring and... Have like a summer holiday. Yeah. Two weeks in the middle and then you get two weeks at the end for, for Yule or whatever it is you, oh, yeah. you, know, you celebrate some uh, midwinter mid -winter, um, thingy shenanigans. Yeah, all of that. So yeah, you get weeks off. That's twice I've used the word shenanigans in two days. It's fine. You get weeks off, but you get two weeks per rune. Okay. Now, how I used to do it, and you may again want to modify this for your own practice because it may not be your thing, it may not suit your mm. time and your circumstances. I used to spend the first week of each fortnight researching. Okay. So I would look at rune meanings in books, on websites. I would look at discussion boards. I would find 
connections with uh, folklore, with mythology, write down anything that was anywhere my research took me in that week. Mm -hmm. And the second week I would spend on reflection, I would look at the meaning of that rune as I had found it. Yep. In books, in the rune poems, on the sites, on the images, and I thought I'd think, "Wow, that is an awesome image. I'm going to take a copy of that, and put it in my research folder." Yeah. And I would spend the second week in reflection, so I would look at how the meaning of that rune was relevant to my life in that second week. Mm. So I would spend time in reflective cycles. I would discuss it with other people. I would be on the lookout for that runic shape in places, literally in physical places sometimes. Yeah. I would look at instances in the news and again look at images and find those reflective connections with me. Hmm. And then the following week I would start with the second rune and then the third, the fourth, the fifth. It's quite intense. The minor fall and the major lift? I, it is, yes. <laughs> It's quite an intense practice to do a fortnight per rune and bearing in mind that is pretty much a year. Mm. If you can get them all done in a year, you can get them all done in a year. The second and third time I did that, I did one rune per week. Okay. So that took me six months. Wow. And then a few years later, I did again one rune per week. It took me six months. Yeah. When I was doing it one rune per week, I was doing, again, more research more reflective time and writing down the results of that making sure i had time to actually write my reflections down in my books yeah and so it became that became quite uh, a spiritual challenge to be able to keep that discipline of it going mm. for that long a time but i found that exercise a very very useful one especially when i started to put a uh, a fortnight per room 24 runes yeah that was a fairly intense year but it was worth it was a way I found really beneficial at the time to connect mm. for me personally I can do bind runes I can do the runic magic side of things I can I'm stronger in the inscriptions and the archaeological records the portable objects the documents that have runes on love those I am strongest in the oracular use. Okay. That is my absolute forte. That is my thing. I can do the other two. Mm. So it's not necessarily <clears> studying <throat> one to the exclusion of the other two. They all three come together. Yeah. They're, they're kind of a sort of a Venn diagram. Yeah, and there's, they, yeah. they overlap all in all manner of random, strange ways. Well, I mean, I would imagine, you know, sort of obvious, I'm speculating, but I imagine an obvious connection between divination and, and um, magical slash talismanic is that you you you're operating on the same concept for each room yes well so yeah you know so i would imagine you know when you when you you sort of uh, pull out a set of runes to to read from mm. you would interpret those based on those established concepts and how they inter interlink with each other uh, and that's yeah. that sort of you know that might be a a glimpse into how something might might be working for you but whereas if you're doing it magically as a vitki Yes. You're presumably wanting to try to embed <clears throat> those those uh, concepts into something. Yeah. So, but it, but the, it's the sim same uh, sort of conceptual framework for each. Yes. Yeah. Just same coin, two sides. Yeah. Yeah. 
they balance each other out in a way and they are completely opposite to each other in a different yeah. way. <laughs> For me, the oracular work gets really interesting because it's not necessarily the concept of each rune that you read in individuality. When you start reading them as a group, mm. you start pulling two, three, four, five. It's the intersections between them and how they affect the rune next door and the rune underneath and the rune to the side and how that how those connections mm. love that <laughs> so we talked a little bit earlier about some runes being co-opted yeah there are some authors that i might choose to not use as your first book in to runes okay there's an author called ralph blum Ralph Blum. Ralph Blum, who wrote the Book of Runes and then the New Book of Runes, and it's probably a little kind of burgundy and cream hardbound, hardbacked book is probably the version that you will see out and about. Okay. It used to be sold with a clay rune set and a baggie mm -hmm. for you to do your thing. He does some very interesting things <laughs> with <laughs> the runes. He changes the order completely changes the order of the sequence okay on for no reason no historical basis reason no archaeological basis reason. what's his reason his reason is that he pulled the runes out of the bag one night and that was the order they came out in so that's the order he goes through them in in his book okay yeah some rune sets are now sold with a blank Mm -hmm. A blank tablet, because when you cast these, one of them sometimes makes a bid for the under the sofa and you never get that little swine back out again. <laughs> so you need a blank one to replace it so that your set's not narnered. Or maybe just clean under the sofa occasionally. Maybe just clean under the sofa. <laughs> Fine, I'll take a hint. So sets are often sold with a blank rune, like a, a joker in a, pa a pack of cards. Yeah. So that you can replace a card that is misplaced. Okay. So that you can still use your set. He adds a blank rune as having a meaning in itself. So for Ralph Blum, there are 25. Why? Because reasons. So okay. that's generally where the blank rune practice comes from. He actually adds a meaning to the blank card. Just as he's kind of interpreted meanings for all of the other runes, most of them based on the poem, he adds a blank meaning. Okay. So watch for the fact that he adds that blank rune and you might see other modern authors also adding a blank tablet into their sets. But it literally is just the joker rune. Yeah, it's just a blank. Wow. It's a, a blank one so that you could replace one that went missing. Yeah. There are a couple of right wing authors okay. that I would probably stay clear of at the, initially. Yeah. I'm not saying don't ever, ever, ever read them on pain of death. I'm saying find other introductory books, other beginner's books, get yourself a good idea. And when you want an alternate viewpoint, consider looking at them. But for me, you really don't have to. No. They are not authors because of their viewpoints and their support for the far right. And me being an inclusive heathen, yeah. they're personally a complete, uh, antithesis to everything that I would go with. Yeah. So I would watch for an author called Freya Aswin. Yeah. Um, she was 
quite prominent in a very large heathen organisation and then was found to have personal far-right views, was removed from that organisation. She did a lot of work around runes and runic studies. Mm. Just watch for her name. She has a very old book out called Seeds of Yggdrasil. The other author I would watch for, again, one quite prominent in rune work, is one that will be listed on the cover as Edred Thorson. Okay. Also known as Stephen Flowers. He's also right-wing. Right. So I would watch for those three authors and perhaps look at different authors initially. Yeah. I suppose it's... I mean, it pains, it pains me to say it a bit because I'm, I'm always very... Um, I mean, I have my... As we all do, I have my political views and, you know, people of that uh, strand of thinking do tend to be people I want to keep at arm's length. Yeah. It's fair to say that there are historical facts about the runes. It is. And not everything that these people say about the runes will necessarily be false. Mm. But I suppose, as with anyone, you have to look and see what are, you know, in terms of when they're, when they're teaching goes into a little bit more about the phil- philos- philosophical aspects of things or the conceptual aspects of things, then you have... I mean, I suppose it's incumbent on us with with anything that we read, is to look and see, you know, what is this? What are the values this person is standing yeah. for? What what? Um, and how do those values translate into the work they have? Yeah, I'm I'm always yeah. hesitant to use the word agenda, but you know, what is their what well, are their, where is their political bias? ideals and all yeah. that kind of thing, and try to, you know, filter that according to make sure. You, I think that the answer is as usually is, you know, as when you're looking at the news. The answer is to look at as broad a possible yeah. cross section of opinions and, and 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 reports and so on. Work out where the commonalities are and try and get an objective view. Yeah, that's certainly what I did when I started studying runes. Yeah, I have folders of stuff that went from when I started, most of which is now in my head. Yeah, uh, especially when it comes to the oracular usage and the oracular patterns. Mm. So those are probably three authors that I would not necessarily avoid like the plague, but not use to start with. But again, it's with any book that you read, with any translation that you read, employ critical thinking skills. Yeah. Look at your source critically. If it's a book, is it citing other references? Mm. Is it just the author's personal understanding of how these things work? Yeah. Look at what sources they're quoting from. If it's a book and it's starting to quote from Edred Thorson or Stephen Flowers, you might start getting an idea of what bias is present in that work. Yeah. All work has bias. My work has bias. Yeah. I'm writing from the position of an inclusive heathen. Yeah. I am writing from the position of a modern queer geeky inclusive heathen. Yeah. I have a bias. Mm. People can come to to my work, to my readings, and employ critical thinking Mm. in looking at where I am coming from and why I'm coming from and when I'm coming from. So if you want to start studying runes and the question going through your head is, I want to know everything there is to know about runes, hopefully this episode will have let you know the magnitude of that sentence. (laughs) There is a lot more to these than just picking up one book, reading it cover to cover once and deciding that you know everything that there is to know. I think as with everything, it's 
the, the the runes are accessible if you want to start learning about them. Oh yeah, um, they're very accessible. The source material is accessible. There are plenty of modern books. Mm. It's where you start and how you start putting things together for yourself. I mean, I can write with them. I've used them as a writing mm. a, a script for a long, long time, but I don't have a fraction of the the knowledge of the meaning of them that you have. I don't have you know. So I think it's yes, it's possible to you can start learning fairly easily. But the thing is, there's going to be an awful lot of learning to do. And it's fascinating. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. You can learn chess in an afternoon. Exactly. But to master it, yeah. to actually get really, to study it, to study the past masters, to study the techniques, the combinations, everything, Yeah. that will take you a lot, lot longer. Yeah. So if you want to consider learning runes, please come and say hi. I will talk your ears off <laughs> about runes, runic inscriptions, about books, about where to start, about every all these little things. And along the way, I've kind of tripped up over a few things. Mm. If I can help you out because you've hit a dead end or you've hit a trip up and you think, oh, yeah, come and message me. Come and sit around the virtual campfire on our Discord server. Come and talk to me on Facebook. Come and find me on Twitter. Come and find me on my new blog whatever give me an email please mm. i will thoroughly talk to you about runes until your ears fall off the cows come home and the sun sets and then rises the next morning and i will still be talking with you about runes and i'll I just keep really, bring... really happily and i'll just keep that. bringing you coffee <gasps> lovely <laughs> so yes if i can help with any aspect of where to start what books to start with whether you're having difficulties with the oracular meaning with the understandings any of that come and say hi mm. come and let me know and i will really happily talk to you about this learning learning about runes is something i am still doing and that's not to say i don't have a whole load of information in my head it's recognizing that there is still more things i can learn yeah so anybody that you come across that says oh i know all about the runes and i know everything there is to know probably is missing a few bits <laughs> because there are lifetimes worth of information about these things and depending on which direction you want to go and where you want to focus could keep you occupied for a very long time yeah so lovely listeners yeah come and talk to me about this stuff i would love that that would be amazing <laughs> yeah we're gonna just kind of leave you chilling out around the virtual campfire okay and talk to you all again just to let you know how you can find us online. If you want to come and say hi, please come and say hi and talk to me about runes. That would be awesome. If you want to come and find me online, my name is Suzanne Martin. I'm on Facebook under that name. I'm also on Twitter at Geetha in Jeans. And I have a shiny new blog. Yay! It's been launched in the last couple of days. It is Geetha in Jeans on WordPress. Yeah, it's geetherinjeans.home.blog. On WordPress. On WordPress. Yeah. Well, just type that in the URL. And... Also good. Yeah. Yeah. Come and say hi to me on my blog. I have an email address attached to that blog. If you want to come and send me a message, that's all good. Or contact me across social media. That's also good. Hmm, cool. And if you want to find me for any reason, I'm afraid you're going to have to join our Discord. Oh, darn. <laughs> we have lovely listeners got a discord server yeah and we also have a facebook page so if you want to come and find frithcast pod on facebook 
You will also find a link to our Discord server. We pop in every now and again for a couple of live chats. We come and hang out around the virtual home for the virtual campfire. And we just chill out around the campfire and talk stuff. Yeah. We are all geeking friendly. We are modern inclusive heathen friendly. We are very, very LGBT friendly, as if you hadn't guessed. We do all the things. So if you want to come and find us and come and say hi, that would be awesome. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, that would be good. So, lovely listeners, we're going to leave you around the virtual campfire. We will talk to you all again for episode 98. And if you haven't worked it out yet, episode 100 is not too far away. And we are planning something a little bit special. (laughs) So we will talk to you all again very soon around the virtual campfire for episode 98. And we will see you then. See you then then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay.